It's All BS with Sabrina, an Amplify podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of It's All BS. I'm your host, Sabrina, and thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, and happy Election Day, Australia. The majority of my listeners are Australians, so I think we all voted today. I personally did a postal vote earlier on this week rather than doing an in-person vote due to not being currently living in my electorate, yada, yada. Um kind of glad that it turned out that way because I did not realize how long those lines get for, for, for voting. I don't remember that it being that hectic last time I did it. Who knows? Um, you know what I did try this year, though, was with the voting system, I decided to try and vote below the line rather than above the line. So when you vote above the line, you're basically voting for the overall party and you number one to six, kind of your top picks, the the least bad out of a pretty bad bunch, essentially. However, if you try and vote below the line, you are voting for individual candidates um, and you number those candidates one to 12, like your top 12. Um, and as much as I enjoyed the bonding session with my roommates as we all sat at the dinner table furiously googling what each candidate bloody did and what they stood for and yada yada trying to figure out who was teal and who was a good independent and who was a bad independent um I think next time I'm just gonna do above the line and I'm gonna save myself the hassle because that was a headache and a half top tip vote above the line save yourself the time but the results are in I am embarrassingly recording this at midnight on Saturday night. I do have friends. I just didn't want to see them tonight. Sometimes you just need a night on your own, you know. Um, but Mr. Anthony Albanese from the Labour Party. I was about to say liberal and that would have been really wrong. From the Labour Party, it's looking like he's going to win. We're still still waiting for the official announcement, I believe. But, you know, that's what all of the the major news publications are now reporting. So there you go. Labour government... Anthony Albanese, most important thing is that ScoMo is out. When I was out and walking around today um, and seeing all these lines around the voting polls, there was this fantastic car driving around with a big paper mache head of ScoMo um, with also a paper mache uh, globe with flames. Basically, you know, calling ScoMo out for just being an absolute useless bleep for climate change action um and so you know i appreciated those three four women in the car who were throwing a yui boom out the window with the world is burning by midnight oil on full blast with a paper mache scomo head rotating um that must have taken you hours to make and i'm sure you took hours out of your day to do that and thank you for doing that because it put a smile on my face but let's jump into a different kind of news because i'm most definitely not the person to talk about uh, politics with. I don't understand it and I'm not going to pretend that I do. So let's jump into our top three music news headlines of the week. News headline number one, Harry Styles' new album, Harry's House, is unsurprisingly already setting records. On May 20th, Harry Styles released his third studio album, Harry's House, a 13-track extravaganza that has gripped the attention of every Harry stan out there. All 13 tracks have landed themselves on Australia's top 50 Spotify charts, and in its first two hours on Apple Music, the album earned the most first-day streams for a pop album released in 2022. 
The album's first single, as it was, broke the record of the most streamed single in the US in one day, beating Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. It also became the most streamed song on Spotify in a single day worldwide, with 21.6 million streams internationally. Styles has already admitted that this album is his favourite one yet. Sort of an intimate look into his head and what a day in his house looks like for him. Reviews have been flooding in and many critics have claimed that this album has officially cemented Harry's status as a pop rock icon. News headline number two, Billy McFarland, the man behind Fire Festival, is granted early release from prison. If you cast your mind back to 2017, Billy McFarland and rapper Ja Rule announced a luxurious island mega festival in the Bahamas. It was supposed to be like a cross between a resort experience with like the best accommodation and food alongside a high caliber lineup and good old festival vibes. Tickets could cost up to 100,000 US dollars and high-end models like Gigi Hadid and Kendall Jenner were brought on to promote this mega event. Instead, ticket holders turned up to mattresses on rain-soaked floors, meals of cheese slices on bread, and their luggage thrown into an unlit car park. Music was cancelled, nothing was built, so what it really was was more like a Lord of the Flies situation. Obviously, an investigation ensued and McFarland was convicted of wire fraud and sentenced to six years hard time after defrauding investors of 26 million US dollars for the botched festival. McFarland ended up only serving three of those years and is now said to be in New York City in a halfway house, already working on new entertainment ventures to try and generate income to pay back the $26 million he owes the investors he defrauded. And news headline number three, electronic musicians and fans alike mourn the death of Vangelis. Evangelos, better known as Vangelis, was a Greek electronic musician who also co-founded cult prog rock band Aphrodite's Child. He was also the Oscar-winning composer behind the soundtracks of Chariots of Fire and Blade Runner, Vangelis died last Tuesday evening at the age of 79, and although no cause of death was announced, there are reports that suggest Vangelis died at a hospital in France where he was being treated for COVID-19. Vangelis never learned to formally read or write music, choosing instead to lean into his natural ability to create. In a 1982 interview, he spoke of this, saying, Orchestration and composition. They teach these things in music schools, but there are some things you can never teach. You can't teach creation. Vangelisi's composition prowess saw the Chariots of Fire theme song top the Billboard 200 for four weeks. The electronic soundscape he shaped for the sci-fi noir classic Blade Runner made even bigger waves and is often referred to as the greatest work in the electronic music genre, despite not getting a physical release until a decade after the film's release. Vangelis did far more than what I just mentioned in this very short recap, and as the music world continues to mourn and reminisce, it's clear that his mark on music will continue to shape and inspire musicians for decades to come. And now it's time to jump into my top three car concert songs of the week. Number one, we have Let Go by Eric the Architect featuring Loyal Kana and Far. Taken from Eric the Architect's 2021 debut solo project, Future Proof, I think it's about damn time I finally include some bloody rap in this segment. Eric is a rap artist from Brooklyn, but you may recognize him as the producer for hip-hop trio Flatbush Zombies. This track is super smooth with a steady guitar and manipulated vocal loop sort of sitting underneath the beat. And the electro-soul duo Far tie it together with a 
really catchy chorus while Loyal and Eric kind of just, you know, they do their thing. I like it. This song really relaxes me. It's served me well the last few days as Sydney has been sitting pretty grain heavy with rain. So here is Let Go by Eric the Architect featuring Loyal Kana and Far. And my life on the speed of my own. Still reciting, I speak through the poems. I'm so grateful I kept my composure. And do remember the things that I told you. You can't dwell, that'll make it a phobia. We can still conquer the culture. We gon' fight, that don't mean that it's over. You're the angel looking over my shoulder. Free your mind, live your life, feed your soul. Give your time, see your family, keep them close. Cause you never know when it could all be gone. Just let it go, let it go, let it go. Make it bright, ain't no time for no wrong. It's a pride that you not getting off. You don't ever know when it could all be gone. Just let it go, let it go. And for song number two, we have ESC, E-S-C, which I think is probably short for escape. And then in brackets, Holding Back by Model Man and Rationale. Released at the end of 2021, ESC Holding Back is a sort of, a, it's a slice of gospel in electronica. And it's very much been a staple in my car this week. Um, and Model Man is a UK electronic artist who actually grew up Mormon. And has somehow merged that upbringing with rave culture, which we love to see. And Rationale is actually a Zimbabwe-born British singer-songwriter, formerly known as Tanache. Um, so what a collaboration, really. This track has Rationale's stunning vocals, which sort of sit atop a building piano riff while being backed by soft break beats. It's singable. It's hypnotic. This is escape or esque i'm not sure in brackets holding back by model man and rationale And for number three, we have Talk by Bajera featuring Maya. Released this year, two of our newer young Aussie artists have teamed up to release this banger. Bajera is an Aboriginal Australian singer-songwriter from Fingalhead, New South Wales, and he debuted onto our airwaves back in 2020 with his single Missing You. And Maya is from Sydney and recently garnered a lot of attention after a collaboration with DJ Flume for the hit single Say Nothing. So this song, it's a little bit funky, a little bit groovy, and a lot of fun. This is Talk by Bajera featuring Maya.
Alrighty, guys, I am disgustingly excited to introduce this week's guest. He has had five major record deals, been involved in over 13 album conceptions. He's toured all over the world what seems like a hundred times over, He both in arenas and bars. He's possibly best known for his time as the lead singer of The Motley Crew from 92 to 96, or maybe you know him as the lead singer of The Scream in the late 80s, early 90s, or maybe even as the co-founder of Union alongside Bruce Kulik from Kiss in the late 90s, or you may know him as the lead singer of The Dead Daisies or as the rhythm guitarist of Rat, to name just a few. This guy is a rocker through and through. He's seen it all, he's done it all, and he's bought the T-shirt. I'm talking about Mr. John Karabi. Now, when I thought about how I was going to approach this interview, I didn't really know where to start because here's this man who's done so much. And not only that, he did some of it when the persona of like a rock star became a thing. Like we're talking sex, drugs, debauchery and fame, both the good and the bad kind. I mean, he was part of the Motley crew for fuck's sake. <laughs> now, and after having done the interview, yes, this man has been and done things, no doubt. And yes, he still has the long hair. He still has the tats, the sunglasses. Was he unbelievably cool? Yes. Too cool to be talking to me? Probably, most definitely. But what was my takeaway from it was he was just so kind and so down to earth and just so normal. So normal, in fact, that we actually lost track of time and we just kept chatting and then realized rather abruptly that he had to leave because he was late for another interview. So the end of this chat is a bit choppy, but I'm so thankful for the time that I did have with him. He's writing and releasing some amazing solo stuff right now. He's coming here to Australia for a string of acoustic shows next month in June. And he also has an autobiography coming out June 14th. So let's welcome John Karabi. to the podcast I know welcome John Karabi here who is in Florida visiting a mate looking very relaxed and very comfortable how are you how's it all going I'm I'm very good I'm just sitting out here it's it's getting dark um I wish I could show you but it's a little too dark but I'm sitting right outside of our door there's a little pond which has um it's got its resident alligator and I'm just, <laughs> last night I thought I saw him splashing around in there. So I'm just kind of sitting out here doing my interviews and watching the alligator chase ducks. So it's that's, kind of. That's creepy. Is that written? Is that normal for, for Florida to just have alligators everywhere? Well, we do have crocodiles as well, but they're farther south. Ooh. What are no. you getting all quivery about? 
You guys are the kings. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I love that. Well, I actually wanted to start off with a, a story, if you will. Um, because when I found out that I was going to interview you, I sort of freaked out because the, you, you just, you, you have such a history and a, like current what you're doing as well. You've just done a lot. So I was sort of sitting there thinking, how the fuck am I going to even start? So I thought, okay, let's see if I can find something in common with this guy, because we clearly looking at us have so much in common. <laughs> if we're on a length, we're on a wavelength. <laughs> I know. But you know what I did find is cast your mind back. You were about eight years old. Second, second talent show, your lead singer falls sick and you have to sing. And you think, okay, I know the words, I'm just going to sing. And you won this talent show. And one of the songs you sang was House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Yes. And that's kind of, that was your moment. One of the moments of, oh shit, this is what I want to do. I auditioned to get into my music degree with House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. And that too was kind of a moment for me of like, oh, I might be able to like do something with this. Not what you've done. I'm not going to go and probably have 40, 30 plus years of touring history, but I thought that was kind of cool. You know what? You know, it's funny. It was like the school that I went to had a yearly uh talent show and i had done it the year before but just as a guitar player and i didn't we didn't win it was just me and this girl that lived across the street from me and we did a simon and garfunkel song called scarborough affair but it was like an instrumental so the following year um a band starts getting put together. They ask me if I want to play. I go, yeah, sure. And the two songs, because we only had like, I think it was like maybe 10 minutes each each act. So we learned uh, a song by the Monkees called I'm Not Stepping Stone. And then we did House of the Rising Sun. Now, for some reason... A it, it, it kind of evades me. I don't remember if somebody couldn't be there, if somebody got sick, if somebody just had stage fright. But I just remember like sitting there, the curtain opens and there we are and nobody's singing. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And I just walked up to the mic and I started singing. We actually won the talent show. But the coolest thing was everybody at the end started clapping. And then my yeah. dad was in the audience. My mom and dad were divorced. My dad came to see me do my thing. And I remember him looking at my mom and like, even at the end of the night, he was like, I had no idea you could sing. And I'm like, neither did I. And it was, <laughs> he, he took me out for pizza afterwards and i was like oh this is killer i literally at like like a standing ovation and i got fucking pizza afterwards i'm in this is what i want to do uh, and, it does and then pizza just turned into other things as you go as you grew older <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just saying, as you grow older, the pizza loses a few letters, a few other letters are added, whatever. It is what it is. It's fine. Either way, you got equal amounts of joy. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Well, that was when I was, because um, before I interview people, I like to listen to other interviews that they've done. And you are a veteran of interviews. And what I always admired was that you're always open. You're always honest. You give anecdotes and you never get frustrated with the interviewer, which I thought was amazing considering you've been doing this and probably been asked the same questions a thousand and one times. Well, I, I, the only thing that in like, and, and I've had a few of them where I had to like go, okay, and I try to be as polite as possible, but it's just like, all right, dude, seriously, like I've got new music out. We're interviewing about the new music that I'm doing or the book or whatever, whatever. And it's like, we've literally just spent 90% of this interview talking about Motley Crue or, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm like, listen, can we reel this in? and just talk about what I came here to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I look, listen, and I, I, I understand having been in Motley, that's a huge thing for a lot of people. You know, so I'm not against talking about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm against talking about it excessively. There's no reason for it. It's been 27 years. I'm out of the band. I've been out of the band. Like, you know, I'll answer some questions, but I just don't want to dwell on certain things. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm moving forward. Uh, Let's go. I agree. Yeah. Well, because you've had five major record deals. Is that right? You had Scream, Motley, Union, Dead Daisies, and now you've got your solo. Yeah. Or a solo record deal, because I know you've spoken, because in the like, same thing, past interviews, you've spoken like, okay, actually, let's jump into your new music, Cozy Bella and Your Own Worst Enemy. Pretty different soundscapes, sonic experience. My favorite's Cozy Bella. I think, I don't know. I like that's just something that I could put on. And although the, the lyrics are a little bit heartbreaking when you really dive into it, it puts a smile on my face. You know, the thing of it is, like, if I can be just frank, um, mm. the whole COVID thing really made me rethink everything. I, and like right now, obviously, you know this, if you're, you're in the music industry, the music industry has changed so much from when I started to right now. So right now, it's not about selling records. It's not about like, because most people aren't selling records. Um, yeah. And guys like me are, you know, I'm considered the old bull that should be put out the pasture. Um, <laughs> No, but it, it, you know, there's some truth to that. And, you know, so now the new thing is streaming and downloads and I am going to have uh, vinyl and CDs at some point, but Marty was the one, my producer, he was like, dude, people aren't buying records anymore. The only place you're going to sell records is at your shows on your website or on Amazon. And I, I, un I understand that. Now, the, the other thing is COVID made me realize, too, everything stopped, like the gigs, uh, working with people in the studios, like everything. So at that point, I kind of had to. I went and I Reimagine. took some. 
I, I took some online classes uh, and learned how to use Pro Tools. I'm still rough at it. I still don't know totally what I'm doing, but I'm moving forward at a snail's pace. I'm moving forward. Um, That's another now, thing we have in common. But the, <laughs> the other thing is I realized that uh, obviously the record buying public is different. Um, but I also realized like, okay, well, I don't need money from a record label, like an advance to record an album. Cause I just, if I want to record, I just go into my bedroom on my laptop and I record it. So there was that. Then if you obviously, you know, that like a lot of the magazines, MTV radio, that's all gone. So now what you're relying on are things like podcasts and word of mouth. Right. Mm. So I go, okay, now over the last eight or 10 years, even when I was doing the daisies, I would say a huge percentage, probably 90 plus percent of the interviews that I did do were all podcasts. I've become friends with a lot of these people. So now anytime I do a song or a tour or a book or whatever, they just reach out to me directly and go, hey, dude, I'd love to have you on my podcast. So I'm like, I don't able for that now either. Um, and the other thing is, like, the song Casi Bella, for example, was literally the music. I hadn't finished it, but I kind of played this song when I, I was doing the last Dead Daisies record. Okay. And I played it for them. And they were like, I don't really understand what you're trying to do with this song. So it was really something that they didn't really want to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I put it to bed. And then once I got into this headspace of like, I'm going to record my own shit, I just sat down and I went, you know what? This might be a little different than anything I've ever done before. But like two of my favorite songs ever is Penny Lane by the Beatles and yeah. Killer by Queen. So I said, you know what? There's no rhyme or reason to anything anymore. I'm going to finish this song. And this is kind of my, you know, it, it doesn't sound like either one of those songs, but it's reminiscent of, or it's got that kind of vibe. So I just said, fuck it. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to put it out and see what it does. Yeah. And Honestly, the, the reviews for it, uh, not the reviews, I don't want to say that, but the response um, has been very similar to yours. Like everybody goes, wow, that's not really what I would have expected from you. But God, I love the song. It's just a happy, fun little song. And I'm like, yeah. OK. And I love that. I love like, first of all, like we're musicians. Um, I hate putting myself into a box and having somebody say, well, that's your box. You need to stay in that box. That's yeah. not, that, that's to me, that's not a musician, like music. <laughs> like I love music. <laughs> I love all different types of music. It so, could be anything. Mm. It could be anything. And that's the beauty now. Like, that's what I love. Even if, you know, maybe Casi Bella doesn't make the record. 
but it's a song that I just put out there and I'm streaming it and I'm letting people download it. Great. You know, maybe the record goes a different direction, but I, I can still, that's the thing that I do love about the way things are now is I can write and record anything I want and put it out there and just make it available to the masses via the digital distribution world. And it's awesome. Yeah. Cause it's, it's such a DIY industry now. I could like, I completely agree. It, you, and it, it's cause it's funny in school, we still saw the music industry. I mean, I mean not to, 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 to bag it or, or to minimize it in any way, but it, it just seemed like such an untamable beast. And yeah, I think once you cross a certain line to get to a next level, for, for most 99% of the people it is, it's, it's just, sorry, you're, you're probably not going to get there, but there's this whole, there's almost no barriers of entry up until a certain point, because you don't need the best equipment. You've got YouTube. You just hop on in, like you yourself, you were saying you took classes for pro tools. You've probably learned extra skills on. Yeah. Like I said, YouTube. And suddenly you are suddenly capable of releasing and distributing your own music, obviously, maybe only to a certain degree and you have years of industry connections that can kind of help you push it a little bit further. But I wanted to touch on what you just said that you don't want to be penned into a box in any way. Cause that that's not music. You've been in some pretty huge bands, including Motley Crue all heavier rock and all of them, especially 80s and 90s, there was a certain behavior, image that you were expected to live up to. And you, and even if you didn't actually live up to it, people were just going to put that on you. Like you've said before in the book, The Dirt, things were colored. They were exaggerated. Was that, how do you deal with that when, it seems like every person around you in that industry is expecting you to be a certain way, act a certain way, sing certain songs, do it in a certain style, because now it's quite normal for someone to have a thousand different genres under their belt or to release songs that sound completely different to each other. But back then, I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was like, this is your thing. You do it well. And if you try and break out of that, fuck off. Well, that's, you know, record labels want what they want from you. You know, if you're a proven commodity and you sell, they want you to repeat that formula over and over and over again. And it's like, dude, like, I just want to grow. Um, but as far as Motley goes, they didn't do that with me. I mean, I, I walked in there. I wasn't the, well, now you wouldn't know I'm gray, but um, <laughs> like, I wasn't the blonde haired, you know, little jumping beam running back and forth on stage. I played guitar. I had dark hair. Um, you know, I had as many tattoos as Nikki and Tommy at the time. And, and then I have a completely different singing style than Vince. So they just said, Hey, we would like to do this. You know, once we went on tour, they, they basically said to me, um, you pick what songs you want to do from our back catalog, which I thought, incredibly gracious of them. Um, so I did. I picked the ones that I felt comfortable singing. I, I picked the ones that I thought sounded good with me singing. And uh, we just did that. But I got to be honest with you, I don't, I don't 
and I never have. And that might be part of my reasoning for not being a household name like a Steven Tyler or like Mick Jagger or Nikki Six. Um, but I've kind of always pushed back a little bit. Like if someone was like, well, you need to do that. I'm like, yeah, no, it, that doesn't help me write a song any better. That doesn't help me sing a song any better on stage. I'm not going to do that. I don't feel comfortable with that. That That is not me. Um, I remember having a talk after we did the first tour with Motley. They fired her manager. They got a new manager. And he wanted me to go and <clears throat> he wanted me to go use a um, wardrobe specialist. And he wanted me to do this. And he wanted me to take choreography lessons. And, and I was just like, no, nope. I, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, you know, if you guys aren't happy with what I'm doing, then you should just get rid of me. I'm not going to do that. And so there's certain things like I just, I, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you would even know who I'm talking about, but there was an, a, a back in the seventies, there was a guitar player who was amazing. And I just read this interview with Brian May, or it was, it was a YouTube video. And Brian May is talking about this guitar player, Rory. His name was Rory Gallagher. Beautiful interview with Brian May. Brian May yeah. said the beauty of Rory Gallagher is he was a blues guy, like just old school blues slide, like all this shit. He was from Ireland. And they said the beauty with, with, of him was that he was like just down to earth. He was amazing with people. He almost preferred playing in smaller venues because he could have eye contact with people. He always wore just jeans and a flannel shirt. He was humble. Um, and to him, the most important thing was the music. And Brian May said at one point, like when he was a kid, he went to go see him and he said, dude, it was so weird. Like we all snuck into this club, me and a mate. And we just wanted to ask him how he got his guitar tone. He said he was loading his own gear mm. and he, he just stopped loading the gear. He lit a cigarette, poured a whiskey, and he sat there and talked to Brian May about his guitar tone. And yeah. that always kind of what I've aspired to be. Just, I, I don't like the trappings of the business. I don't like, at the end of the day, um, now Queen, on the other hand, one of my favorite bands, they were brilliant at both image and the music but i kind of lean towards the bands like humble pie led zeppelin aerosmith um yeah. grand funk railroad these are all bands that <clears throat> didn't use pyro there was like they just they put their stage clothes on they went on they rocked out they threw down hard and then they just got off stage and they went and they had their drinks. It wasn't a lot to the show. It was just the energy, the delivery, the music, the songs. And that's kind of what I've always been into. I mean, I love the Alice Coopers and I love the David Bowies and I love the Princes and, 
and all that other shit. But I, at the end of the day, I'm just, I've always been a meat and potatoes guy. And that's it. Yeah. Was that so? Because you were with the Scream, you guys had a, it was a successful first album, and then you got that call from Motley, Bing Bang Boom, shoot forward, you're in it, and you accepted the gig. And I know your band members from the Scream were very encouraging of you to take that gig because it was like, this is Motley, like, what the fuck are you doing? Of course you're going to do it. At first. <laughs> I see. (laughs) Uh, But you, okay. Cause they had this, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm thinking of? They had this reputation. So you willingly agreed to, to go into this space with these people. (laughs) Were you worried about losing yourself? Were you worried about, because you just said that you weren't, you didn't want to kind of entertain this idea of the industry. And I guess you never really know the inner workings of the band, even as a musician at like at the same time, you never know what's going on with specifically them and their management, yada, yada. I know Electra Records was a mess when you went into the band, but you weren't afraid of, I guess, sounds like such a inconsequential word, but like peer pressured into changing that and into being more like them? No. And to be honest with you, when, when I left, um, it was funny when I first joined, they really took their time accepting me into the band because they were afraid, you know, everybody kids around about lead singers. They, they say all, all lead singers have this, it's called LSD lead singers disease. Um, And they used to tell me these horror stories about Vince. So they said they really wanted to take their time writing the record and recording the record. So they knew that they weren't jumping from the frying pan into the fire with another maniac. But the thing of it is, is I was never the maniac. And all of the things that they complained about um, with me about Vince was ultimately what they missed about Vince. Because like, even when I got like this astronomical sum of money to join the band, uh, when I joined, I, I didn't, I didn't go out for the sports cars and I didn't like, I, I wasn't, 
I wasn't excessive with things. Now you got to remember, I mean, I got married and, and I married a woman that had a daughter and then I had a kid with her. So I got married when I was like 19 or 20 years old. So anytime I started to get even remotely, whatever, all I had to do was go home and it was like, daddy, 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 or hey, honey, take out the trash. So I was always, <laughs> I was always very balanced. And it was funny. You were, you were yanked down to earth. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I remember towards the end, Tommy and Nikki <clears throat> having this frustrating conversation with me because um, when I joined the band, I bought a truck. And okay. I had that for a few years. And uh, I got into a, a bit of an accident with it. So I had the opportunity with the insurance money to go out and get a new car. And um, I bought another truck. And I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy and Nikki were like, dude, like, what's the deal, man? Like, you know, you're the fucking lead singer of Molly Crew, bro. Like, you know, like you walk around in fucking jeans and T-shirts and Chuck Taylors and, you know, you're buying trucks and shit, dude. Like, you need to pull up to the club, man. And, like, everybody needs to look at you and know that you're the lead singer of Motley Crue. Why do you keep buying trucks? And I go, I don't know. I, I like them. <laughs> I like trucks. You know? And so I was never that guy. They didn't want a Vince Neil when I joined but that was the thing that they missed. They missed the flash. They missed the over the top, whatever. And I was never yeah. that guy. You know, I just, I just that, wasn't. That, so it's funny, not likening their relationship with Vince to a, a toxic relationship, but there is, we, we get addicted to a certain level of drama, a certain level of issues in our lives and we know deep down that the healthy option would be to cut ties, leave it, move on, grow up. But sometimes we just can't. And we go back to the one thing that was burning us because we miss that adrenaline. We miss that. I don't know what's going to happen next, but maybe I'll have fun along the way or it could destroy my life, but I'm willing to risk it. I'm going to go with the word drama. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the drama. <laughs> But okay, because I, I noticed that was with yeah yeah. I was just I was just always into like you know I would buy a pickup truck or I I would buy a Bronco and then I would put the big fat tires on it and you know I was just like I had a dog and the dog always rode around in the back of the truck with me and you know and like everybody was like hey we're going to the Viper Room and I'm like yeah no I'm gonna go home and whatever talk to you guys later. I mean, I, on occasion I would go out, but it was yeah. like, even, even things like, you know, strip bars, you know, it was like, I think I lived in LA for 20 years. And I think, I think in my entire, I'm 63 now. And in my entire life, I think I've been to maybe 20 or 25 strip bars in my entire life. I, I, I have no time for it. 
I would much yeah. rather sit. I would much rather sit down with an attractive woman, have a glass of wine, and anticipate, yeah. have the anticipation of seeing her naked dancing in my infinite. I don't want <laughs> oversell right from the beginning. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I it's just yeah, whatever. No big deal. Whatever. Yeah, I love that. But I mean, you, you've mentioned it in other bands as well. There's always egos floating around. There seems to be a lot of bickering in these rock bands. And it's funny because we always say that like bitching and bickering is such a female trait, but you've been in all male bands your, your whole life. And in every one, you've been like, there's been bitching and bickering and fighting. And is that just an ego thing? Is that just a human thing? And you've just had to kind of sit back and watch it and be like, all right, I'm going to let you two figure this shit out. Yeah, because, you know, here's here's the thing. Once you get, like, for example, um, let's use let's use Motley for an example. You get a band like Motley Crue who has very four, four very distinct individuals, egos, personalities. Now, I think the one guy that you could probably take off the list as far as that in that band would be Mick. Because Mick's like, he's very much like me. He doesn't want to be bothered with anything. He would rather just go home, sit on his couch and play video games. Um, But the other three, you have a shit ton of success. And then I think what happens from where I, where from the outside looking in with a lot of these guys, I think the thing that I've realized is a lot of these guys have a massive amount of success. And then everybody starts thinking they're here to see me or I'm the one that writes the songs or I'm the one that's doing the spinning drum solo. I'm the one. So everybody kind of is to a degree, you know, they're the reason why all the fans are there to see the band. And it's like, I think bands tend to forget that it's a band. It's not, it's, uh, it's not about any one individual. Do you know what I mean? They're here to see you all. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Interesting. Well, let's jump into your book. Um, before we kind of have a chat about your acoustic tour, which is coming through Australia, which is super exciting. You are here very soon. Um, the book, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. I know I, I listened to an interview that you were talking about how that was inspired by your dad and how when you joined, well, when you formed Union um, with Bruce, you had this moment with him where you were like, I think this is it. I think like, you know, the train's finally pulling into the station. I've, I've got it. And your dad went, awesome. Great. Cool. Just don't be at the airport. Yeah. And I loved that because it was, it's, it's this whole thing. I, I'm sure you explore in your book, this idea that for you, you feel like that you've always been at the right place, but the wrong time. And you had this beautiful quote, which was just, yeah, it got me. I just need to find it in my notes here. Um, if you can draw an imaginary straight horizontal line and say everything above it is fame and everything below it is obscurity, I've literally been scraping my back on that line my whole career. Tell me about that. What is it about 
these decisions that you've made or I guess right place, wrong time that makes you feel like that? Because to someone like me, you are famous. Yeah, but but when you look at it, you know, first of all, you have to sit down and ask yourself what defines fame. Um, um, I'm happy. I'm healthy. Um, I have great friends, you know, great family. I'm still sitting here 30 plus years later, still making music, getting ready to come to Australia and doing a book, still doing music. So life is life is cool. I'm just talking about that line is the difference between if you were sitting in a group of people and you said two names to them, if you said Steven Tyler, everybody knows. If you say John Karabi, more than half of them are probably going to go, why does that name sound familiar? Do you know what I mean? That That's what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not decisions. Okay, let me rephrase that. It is some decisions that I made, but my path hasn't been just a direct line. It's been like, I go here and then all of a sudden I get this phone call to join one at the time, one of the biggest bands in the world. And everybody was very supportive and said, you need to go do that. I did it for personal reasons as well. Um, My son was diagnosed with diabetes. My mother had just been diagnosed with cancer. So one of the things that everybody was saying to me was, um, not only will you be playing bigger places and doing bigger things, you'll be able to take care of your family. So all the things that I've done, I I look at my career as, you know, uh, let's say playing poker. Okay. Okay. You play poker, a dealer deals you your cards. And you play that hand the best that you can. Some of them you win, some of them you lose. But then there's another deck of cards. There's another deal. There's another hand. And my career has been full of, you know, because one of the things everybody says to me is, why have you been in so many bands? I don't know. I would love to be sitting here talking to you about the 15th Scream album, but it just wasn't in my cards. I played my hand the best that I could. Um, yeah. I have no, re- I have no regrets. Um, but that there is that thing, like for some apparent reason, one of the main things with all of the different things that have happened to me, one of the main things that I have realized, regardless of how talented you are, how much money you have behind you, the one element, the one secret ingredient of everything is luck. And the stars aligning for like, you're sitting here going, oh man, I really love Casibella. Okay, that's great. You love it. I love it. There's 9 billion people on the planet. <laughs> like there's, there's luck to some degree. Somebody, maybe a, maybe a huge movie producer decides to put it in the next Brad Pitt movie. That's luck. Then it becomes yeah. this glo- global sensation. So there's a lot of luck involved in the music industry and having the stars align a certain way for everybody. And I've just been one of those guys where I've had my breaks. 
I've had the ups, I've had the downs, but the luck part has just a little bit, just a little evaded me to become the household name. Right, right. Do you want to be a household name now looking back? Is that something you wish had happened? Listen, anybody that tells you that they wouldn't like to be able to pull up to a restaurant and walk in and get the best seat in the house, or they would like to be able to go backstage and, you know, or they wouldn't like to, they, you know, anybody that says that they, man, I, I would really love to be able to go into that club without having to wait and then the line out front, they're full of shit. Like, like <laughs> every, everybody wants to be treated, you know, like special. So, you know, maybe to a degree, um, you know, it would be nice. Uh, it would be nice to branch out. I would love to eventually produce bands. I would love to eventually co-write with other people. I would like to eventually uh, maybe do some TV scripts. But it, it becomes easier. Yeah. It becomes easier. Those other things become easier with the luck and the fame. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that it makes complete sense. Cause it's not always, it's, you know what, more often than not, it's, it's not the most talented person that you end up remembering that you end up knowing. Yeah. But I mean, you kind of, you've kind of answered the question. Cause I, cause with the book, I know uh, you were a little bit hesitant to do a book. You were like, fucking everyone's doing a book right now. <laughs> which is exactly how I felt with this podcast. I was like, everyone's doing a podcast. (laughs) Why am I doing this? But Paul convinced you. And I had two questions on it. One, from the original manuscript, how much has changed now with your edits? Nothing. Not much. Nothing? Yeah? No. Okay. Not really. I love that. Yeah. Okay. We we were, we kind of knew, uh, to me, it was more about a rhythm. It's like, I, I just don't want it to be boring. And then, so I went through and I looked at certain things and I'm like, okay, I'm going into way too much detail. Like this, I could have gotten to the point much sooner and I would just go through and erase shit that I was just like, it's completely irrelevant to the story. Um, right. You know, so, um, you know, but other than that, man, it really didn't change much at all. Not at all. No, we just kind of went back and forth like six, seven, eight times and read and re-edited and re-edited again and re-read it. And, and uh, once we felt like we were, okay, we've got a pretty decent book, um, I turned it in, we got the deal. Um, and even the publishing company at first, they went, okay, most autobiographies are 300 pages-ish. Mine's like 470 Yes. Um, but he read it that the head guy at the publishing company and he said, I, I wasn't really bored at all. Like it just kind of flowed. So and it went by really quick. So then what he did is he gave a copy to everybody in his staff and he said, read this and tell me if you would make any edits. And overwhelmingly, they said, no, nah, man, I wasn't. No, I would leave it exactly the way it is. So it's literally like a 460 page book, 50 page book. 
Um, and I'm, you know, we'll see, man. Again, luck, you know, is it going to, is it going to be, you know, 200 people buy it and go, wow, great book, Crab. Or is it going to be, mm-hmm. you know, 2 million people? Who knows? We don't know, you know, so. We don't know. Do the best this you can could be the break. This could be the luck, John. Um, well, from your mouth to God's ears, love. <laughs> But for those who are playing at home, this is Tales from the Other Motley Crew Frontman and Journeys Through Life in and Out of Rock and Roll, which is out June 14th, I believe. But you can pre-order uh, yeah. it. Uh, well, yeah, it's been it's been available for pre-order. And I'm hoping I can't guarantee anything, but I know that Paul Miles, who I co-wrote the book with, um, has tried to make arrangements for it to be at the shows when we play. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that there's not some shipping, you know, issue or a customs issue. Um, because then, you know, 200 books are going to show up. So I, I, I hope that they get there on time. Yeah. I don't have the biggest faith in Australia's OzPost, but I'm praying for you. I got, I got a question for you because I can't really change my phone. Do you know what Mm. time it is? Um, uh, so it's, uh, hold on, I'll Google it. Time in Florida. I have one it's more. It's 9.15. You have an interview. It's 9.15. One at 9 o'clock. <laughs> I don't- You've got to go. Thank you so much for chatting with me. <laughs> no worries, darling. Great to meet you and hope to see you in Melbourne. was John Karabi. Huge thank you to him and an, another apology to him uh, for keeping him late. For some stupid reason, I thought I was the last interview of his for the day. So I didn't really tell him when half an hour was up. I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I'll just keep talking to him because he doesn't seem to be in a rush. And then <laughs> realized I'd kept him 15 minutes past my like a lot of time. So big apology and also big thank you to him Um, But if you do want to catch John, you can, because he's coming to Australia for a string of acoustic shows next month, very soon, actually. He's hitting up Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth from June 2nd through to June 11th. So he's only in the country for, God, not very long. I hope he gets a little holiday in there. Damn. But if you can't catch one of his shows, you can learn more about John through his new autobiography, which is coming out June 14th. It is called Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, Tales from the Other Motley Crew Frontman and Journeys Through a Life in and Out of Rock and Roll. So that is out June 14th. I believe you can still pre-order them if you wanted to get your hands on a copy 
straight away. And what you should definitely do is jump onto your streaming service of choice and type in John Karabi and listen to some of his stuff, including some of the solo stuff that he's uh, that has been releasing for the last few months and he will continue to release, including that song that we spoke about at the start, Cosy Bella, from, that he released last year, and Your Own Worst Enemy, which was released this year. So those are your top three choices to get to know John Karabi a little bit better. But that is the end of this week's episode of It's All BS. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you... I was about to say like and subscribe. We are not on YouTube yet. I'm thinking of possibly jumping onto that. We'll see. I don't know. Um, But if you did enjoy this episode, make sure that you do maybe drop a subscribe, maybe drop a rating or a comment or what are they called? A review. Drop a review. I'd love to see what you have to say. Otherwise, enjoy this week. This is actually my last full week in Sydney, so I'm going to be busy doing all the things, seeing all the people, eating at all of the cafes and restaurants and drinking at all the bars that I didn't get the time or the chance to do while I was here. Um, So that is it from me. This is It's All BS. I'm your host, Sabrina. Have a good one.